welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in James chapter 1 this morning. James chapter 1. Well, in the 15th century, a Japanese shogun warrior, I'm going to try this name, Ashikaga Yoshimasa, did pretty good there, was out on the battlefield, and when he traveled, he traveled with a tea set, which is the kind of warriors that you want, right, traveling around with their little teapots like my daughter plays with. Well, this was not just any teapot, this was an antique teapot, and in the midst of his travel, his beloved teapot fell and got broken. Now, this was at a different time. You and I live in America where we have kind of just been trained. If it breaks, throw it away and buy something new. We have a ton of consumer goods that we get to. Back in the day, that's not how it worked at all. If something broke, you had to fix it. So he sent this teapot back to the manufacturers in China and said, I want this repaired. When he finally got it back, it was watertight. It would would hold tea, but it was incredibly ugly. What they had done is they had just taken metal staples and basically stapled the ceramic teapot back together. Now, if you're going to drink tea, you have to drink tea with style, right? You can't just drink it out of an ugly pot that's stapled back together. And so what he did is he decided he wanted a new way a new way to repair this that would not be so ugly. And here's what he did. He took some lacquer and he mixed it with gold dust and he created a glue that he could glue ceramics back together. And what that creates is like what's coming up here on the screen. It creates this this beautiful kind of pottery that has cracked and broken, but it is put back together with this gorgeous gold uh, um, glue that holds it together. Now what's amazing about this pottery, this is called kintsuji. This pottery does not hide the brokenness of the pot. It takes the brokenness of the pot and exalts it. It takes something that was once broken and ugly, it it gives honor to that brokenness and that ugliness, and it creates something beautiful. Some new beauty is born out of what is broken. What's interesting is you would think that a pot that has been broken and is glued back together would be worth less. But as it turns out, these pots are actually worth a lot more because of the beauty of the brokenness of them. Now, the reason I bring that up to you is every person in this room is broken. Each and every one of us go through something. Each and every one of us are struggling this morning with something. We've had troubles in this world. And here's what I want to tell you is that what God does with broken people is a lot like what Shogun warriors do with broken teapots. Is he exalts that brokenness and makes something beautiful out of it instead of something ugly. We're going to be talking about that more today and what the value is in our brokenness and what we're going through. We're going to be studying a, uh, the whole book of James over the next several weeks. I'm excited about this. I was, I was ready and I was hungry to just pull up a book of the Bible and just start at verse one and go all the way to the end. And that's what we're going to do. And the book of James is also my favorite book of the Bible. And the reason for that is, is that James is incredibly practical. Like if you read Paul, there's a lot of good stuff that Paul wrote. Paul, Paul's like a, uh, like a lawyer or a scholar. He argues his points in circles. It's, it's very, very dense. James is very, very practical. He's going to give you step by step how to instructions on how to follow God. Now, James has a special claim, although he doesn't claim it when he authors this, but he has a special claim to understanding the heart of Christ because this James that wrote this book was the half-brother half of Jesus Christ. He, he grew
grew up with Jesus, although he was not a believer until after Jesus' resurrection, he grew up with Jesus with his mother being Mary and his father being Joseph. And the other thing that's important about this book is most scholars agree that the first New Testament book that was recorded is the book of James. So what you're about to read, what we're about to read together, is the very first written biblical part of the New Testament that was passed down to us very early in, um, in the life of the church. So if you've got your Bibles with me today, James is going to give us some basics of the faith, and then he's going to outline the three main points of what he'll talk about the rest of the book. If you've got your Bibles, read with me. Chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now let's explain trials for a second. The rest of this will make sense. Trials is when you have a hardship, when you are going through some form of suffering, when life just isn't the way that you want it to be. That's what's meant by trials. That'll be important here in a minute. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, and with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Yet let, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat that it withers the grass, its flower falls, and the beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to that. Let's see if we can make some sense out of where James starts here. Now, I want to remind you something. James is very likely the first written instruction that will go into our New Testament. So, the first Bible that is written after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And what is the first topic that James goes to? The first thing when he thinks, I'm going to write instruction about following Jesus, the first thing he goes to is the topic of dealing with trials and hardship. Now see, there's a key to, I think, what James knows here, is that in this life, there will be problems. Jesus in John 16 says that. He says, in this world, in this life, you will have trouble. So the Bible anticipates as a first expectation of you and me is that we're going to have a hard day. We're going we're to live through a hard season Something's going to happen that's just going to rock our socks. We don't know how to handle it. And what I want you to know is God anticipated that. He was aware of that, and he is with us through that. The Bible knows that we're going to go through arguments. The Bible knows there will be people who dislike us, that we will have sickness, that the car will break down on the absolute worst day of the week for the car to break down. The Bible anticipates that you will go through financial trouble, that you will walk through the death of loved ones, and that you will struggle. And listen, there's a false gospel out there that we have to be aware of because the Bible doesn't teach this. There's a false gospel that says, hey, if you will just follow Jesus, everything in your life is just going to go perfect. God loves you. He's just going to make it easy on you. Everything's going to go the way you want it to. And if you fall into that lie, you're going to be very, very disappointed because the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The Bible teaches you that you are going to go through hard times, that there will be struggles, that there will be trials and tribulations. But here's the promise of the Word of God is that as you walk through those troubles, that God is with you. And that is better than going through no struggles at all. 
You guys remember the old story in, in, um, in Daniel, the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, one of my favorite stories ever. These men, they were praying to God. They refused to bow down to false idols. They were being faithful to God, and for their faithfulness to God, they were arrested and sentenced to death. And not just like any death, like death row, sit there for 30 years. The king said, heat up the fiery furnace, throw these men in there. I want to watch them burn for their, for their problems, for what they've done against me. And so they do that. They get the furnace so hot that even the guards die as they're throwing these three men in the fire. The king, now satisfied with himself, goes and sits on his throne, and he looks back at the fire, expecting to see the smoldering bodies of three people. But what he sees is in the fire, those three men walking around unharmed, and a fourth man with them. See, that story, I believe, is given to us to show that you're going to go through some hardship. But in the midst of that hardship, God is with you. And he will be there through your trials and tribulations. James is going to continue on with this. And he's going to take this concept of that pottery I showed you, that there is a beauty in your brokenness. And this is what he says. He says, count it all joy when you go through hardships. This guy's crazy. Count it all joy. That's not my first reaction. I'm not like, oh, I'm sick. Thank you, God. I don't, I don't get into a, a disagreement with my wife and go fall on my knees and go, God, you are so good and have been so good to me. No, when we, go through joy, when we go through hardship, joy is the last thing that we feel. It's not a natural reaction for us. And yet James here, with the Holy Spirit guiding him, says you can have joy in hardship. You can have the opposite reaction of normal. And here's the point he's going to make, is that joy in hardship comes when there's a purpose in the hardship. When there's a purpose and you understand the purpose, that is when you can find joy in hardship. I don't want to offend anybody who's done this, but I saw something recently. Have you guys seen this? Have you guys seen the delivery room photo shoots? Like when somebody's having a baby? What they do is they'll bring, they'll bring a... Uh, they'll bring a uh, uh, Photographer, thank you. They'll bring a photographer in, and in the midst of, of bearing a child, this photographer will be over there like snapping pictures, you know, tears running down people's faces, the blood, the anguish, the hurt, and all of those things. And, and I'm looking at that going, I don't know if you want to remember those things, because when my daughter was born, I remember crying, I remember screaming, I remember uh, exhausted breathing, and that was just me. I don't know what Jessica was going through over there. Like, why would you bring a photographer in to commemorate those moments? moments. And the reason is, is because there's a beauty in that moment, though it's hard, though it's hurtful, there's a beauty in that moment because after that moment, here's this precious child that is produced from it. There's beauty in the brokenness and the pain based upon the purpose. By the way, if you're about to have a child and you would like to have one of those photo shoots, Jason Bricky is a great photographer. He would love to do that for you. So I'm kidding. Don't call Jason. He wouldn't like that. Yeah, he, he takes pictures of race cars. He's not going to take a picture of that. Listen, your first take-home truth today is a believer has hope in the midst of hardship. Are you a believer in Christ this morning? You have hope in the midst of hardship. Your life is not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be easy. But there is reason for you to have hope when you go through hard times. My daughter is gorgeous, and, and I love everything about her. And she's going through that phase that every kid goes through where they ask one question. No matter what you say, she is going to ask the question, why, right? Put on your shoes. Why? It's time to go to bed. Why? Let's get a bath. Why? Why, 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 why? And I've, I've, I've become the dad I swear I'd never be. Because I said so. <laughs> There's something within even a child that wants to know the purpose in their pain. 
And when we as adults go through hardship, when we as adults go through something, what is the first question we ask? Why? God, why me? See, there's something in us that knows. I can endure the hardship. I can endure the pain. I can endure the brokenness. But it needs to have a purpose. I need to know why it happens. And what James is going to teach us and continue to teach us is that times of hardship happen to everybody. But God will use your pain. God will use your hardship. God will use your time of discomfort to create something good. See, here's the thing. If you go through this life without Jesus, I'm just going to be flat straight with y'all. Is that okay? If you go through this life without Jesus, bad things will happen to you. If you go through this life with Jesus, bad things will still happen to you. But he will walk beside you and make something beautiful out of those moments when that happens. See, the difference between a believer and a non-believer is not what's going to happen to us. It's how we handle the things that happen to us, the things that we have to go through. We walk through hardship different because of our faith in Jesus Christ. See, what, with, within myself, if you take God out of the equation, when something bad happens, I'm like, why did this happen to me? This is unfair. I should never have to listen, live like this. Why is the Dr. Pepper not cold? I had that problem yesterday. Like, like, that's not fair for me. But as a believer, we look at the world with a completely different light. Because we walk into this world, when we wake up and we walk out our door, we walk into this world with one hope and one hope only, is that God is good. That he is with us. And so when, when, I, when I'm going through hardship, I go, okay, God is good, and I know God is everywhere, so I know God sees me. And if God sees me, he knows this is happening to me. And if God knows this is happening to me, he is allowing it to happen to me. And if he is allowing it to happen to me, it must be for a purpose. So at the end, God must have a good purpose in what I'm going through. See, for you and me as believers, we get to rest in the goodness of trusting him. Faith is a word we use a lot in church. It's a great word. We should use it a lot more. Like faith in God. And a lot of times when we think about faith in God, it's like, yeah, I believe God exists. I believe what he said. I have the saving faith within me that says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he died for my sins. But faith goes a lot deeper than that. Faith is not just believing that he existed. Faith is not just believing that he did what he said he did. Faith is trusting him in every circumstance. Faith is believing that he is good because he says he is good in living within that. So your second take-home truth today is a believer finds joy in trusting God in the midst of hardship. A believer finds joy in, the, in trusting God in the midst of hardship. Now, James is going to go ahead and he's going to define this good thing that God does. He's not just going to say, hey, don't worry about it. It's going to work out. He's going to tell you exactly how this process works, what good thing God is doing in you. And what he does is he says, understand this, that the testing of your faith leads to patience. Now, I've spent probably 29 years out of my 36 years on earth in school, in regular school, in college, as a teacher. And when I think of tests, I think of either the mean old teacher or being the mean old teacher who had that moment where like, okay, I've taught you a lot of things. Get out a pen. You're going to write it down. And I taught this class for many years called AP U.S. History. It was my favorite class ever to teach. And one of the things that we did in there is we had these quizzes every week, and we called them sprints. And I would tell the kids on the first day, we call them sprints because by the time you're done, you're going to be out of breath, you're going to be exhausted, and you're going to want to throw up. That's what these quizzes will do to you. So these sprints, would, what we would do is I'd have them do their readings through the week, and they would have to write all of these terms, all of the names, all of the dates, all of the people, all of the, all of the political terms, and they would have to memorize 15 to 20 of those a week. And later in that week, what I would do 
is I'd say, okay, I'm going to pick three, and you have to write everything that you know about those three things. I generally pick a kind of a general one that you should know. I pick a very particular one, but here's where it got hard. Every week, you've got 15 to 20 new terms, and the third term always come from somewhere previous. So we might be in May, and I would just randomly pull out a term that you learned in August, and you had to know it to be able to pass that quiz. It was a painstaking thing for my students to try to go through these tests. These students who were used to being straight-A students, they were struggling sometimes to get C's on this. Why did I do that? Was it because I'm evil? Maybe a little bit. I did that because in that test, it pushed them to be better. It gave them a reason to struggle and strive. And from that, they grew in their knowledge and their understanding. Listen, what God will allow us to go through when it says testing of our faith is not seeing if you're good enough for him, not seeing if you can pass the test. God will let you go through things because he knows it will grow you and it will push you for success in your spiritual maturity. See, then the result of this, James says, is patience. Like, hey, you're going to go through hard times. You're going to endure through hard times. And the result of this is patience. We have this old joke in churches. is like when you're mad at somebody, like, I'm praying for you to have some patience. <laughs> because I know that you're going to have to go through some hard times to get there. Or don't pray for me for patience. Patience is the result of having experiences. Think about the difference in a way, and teenagers, I love y'all. Think about the difference in a way that teenagers handle things versus a seasoned adult. Teenagers flip out over the simplest things, don't they? It's like, uh, I wanted to go to prom with Mark, but Mark actually likes Abigail, and so he doesn't want to go because Abigail has a date, and he said he's not going, and I bought a red dress because Mark loves red dresses, and, and now I just, I'm not going to go to prom, and my life is over. And as an adult, we're like, it's three hours of your life, and you're going to be okay. Because we've experienced through that age of being a teenager and the angst of being a teenager and realized we all survived all of the social moments. The same thing will happen to you with your faith. When you go through a hard time and you survive through it, what you'll realize is not only did I survive, I thrived. God did something in me. I don't want to do it again, but he did something in me in that hard moment. He took care of me in a new way. And we have this experience of learning to trust and rely in God. Now, this only works, though. You will only find joy in hardship if you are all in for Christ. If your greatest desire is to grow in Christ, then this is when this works. But here's why this fails for you. If you're sitting here going, yeah, Brian, I've had some hard times. I don't feel any joy about this. Here's where we fail is we put our eyes on the problem more than we put them on the power of God. We put our eyes on what I want more than what God wants to do in me. And so if, if we're going to be followers of Christ, and, and James, I called, this, I called this series Challenging Flatline Faith, what James is going to argue for is not a habitual faith. He's going to argue for a faith that changes your very being. Who you are will be different based upon following Christ. And so what James is saying is like, hey, you've got you've to be all in, and you've got to look to God over the problems, over the circumstances. Now, at this point, James kind of like switches gears on us a little bit. He's like, hey, you have hope and hardship, count it all joy in the midst of troubles. And then all of a sudden it's like, and if you like wisdom, and it's kind of like, that's a completely different topic. But then I got to look at it then I was like, wait, that's, that's not a different topic. Think about it. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to see the big picture. Do you have those people in your life who speak wisdom into your life that you can go to and talk to? 
What I found is when I seek wisdom from people that I'll come to them and I'll have this microscopic view of a problem, a situation that I need wisdom on. And what happens is these people take that problem and they put that little dot on a widescreen TV. Say, so okay, that's a small problem, but you get all these other things to look at. See, wisdom is the ability to see the big picture. And so here's, here's what James is arguing. Like, hey, if you're having trouble finding joy and hardship, if you're having trouble understanding that, that wisdom is the ability to see the big picture, to see that God is doing. And if you lack wisdom, all you have to do is ask for it. And if you will ask in faith, God promises. Listen, God makes promises to you. God promises you that he will give you the wisdom to see the big picture. Isn't that amazing? Your next take-home truth to go with this is, is joy is found in purpose. Purpose is known in wisdom, and wisdom is given on request. So here's, here's the application for you, is that if you're going through a hard time and you just don't know what God is doing, all you have to do is seek Him. Pray in the midst of your hardship, and God will answer you. Seek to understand, and you will find that joy as God answers you. I've lived this. 2011 was, to this point, one of the worst years in my life. You guys ever had a season where it feels like the whole world just crumbles around you? That was 2011 for me. I didn't know if I was going to survive. I'll be honest with you. I'm highly anxious, all kinds of things going on. It seemed like everything was going wrong. I look back to that year now as one of the greatest moments in my life. Because that's the point where God took me, a rule-following, good church boy, and taught me to have a faith and trust in his presence and his person. Instead of going through the motions, instead of just living the actions, God taught me how to have a deep, meaningful relationship with him. If you talk to a seasoned Christian, I don't know hardly anybody that can't tell you they went through that period of time where something happened and they had to learn to rely on God in a new way. And out of that was born more faith and more trust. See, what faith does for us is it looks forward instead of at this moment. See, think about it. When, when we talk about salvation, all you have to have to receive salvation is faith in who Jesus Christ is. That's all you have to have. And salvation is simply this, is when I die, you guys can throw this old body in the ground, but let me tell you something. I'll be with God. He's promised me that. And that is all in the future. I cannot prove that right now. I can't give you some kind of scientific evidence. I just believe God has promised us that. And I know when I die, I will walk into his presence. Think about it. It's all in the future. But that future knowledge and that future faith changes how I live this moment. It changes who we are today. That, that as we follow Christ, this isn't just about getting into heaven. It's simply the fact that one day all of this will be over. I've spoken to a lot of people that are sick. They're at the end of their life. They're going into something hard. And it is amazing how Christ followers will tell you, I'm going to be okay either way. It doesn't matter how the surgery comes out. If I never come out of that surgery, I'll be okay. It doesn't matter. Brian, I've lived a good, long life. I'm ready to go see Jesus. I'm ready. I'll walk right through death because I have faith in the future. It changes how I live now. And the same is true of anything that we go through, that if we're always focused on the future, we will forget the presence. Uh, let's continue to read here. This is verses 12 through 18 as James continues. 
He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Now, earlier we talked about trials. Trials are things that we suffer through, circumstances of life, things that are just going wrong. Temptation is this desire in us to walk into a sin. So we're talking about same thing, hardship, different subcontext. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Listen to verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lies, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. We're going to come back to that one more time. Keep your Bibles open. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've not read the Sermon on the Mount, it's Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. It's where Jesus comes in and for the first time he says, let me redefine everything that you know. Many times in the sermon, Jesus will say, you've heard it said, you've been taught, this is what you think. And then he'll use my favorite word in the Bible, but. But let me tell you what is actually true. And one of the things he says to us is he says, listen, do not put back for yourself riches on earth where moth and rust destroy. Don't worry about being a millionaire or a billionaire. Instead, build up for yourself treasure in heaven where nothing will corrupt it and take it from you. Jesus says this, like, look, if we're lucky, I think I saw the other day, the oldest living person in the world is 116 years old. If you are the luckiest person out of 8 billion, you get 115 years. And in that 115 years, you can pile up as much wealth as you want. Get the big house, the nice cars, the piles of money, the big bank accounts, go buy you a jet, get you a yacht. You can have all of those things. But at some point, that's going to come to an end. And you're going to step into eternity with God. And that eternity, when we say eternity, that means it goes forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This is the future when you will be with King Jesus forever. And what Jesus is saying is now is a time to prepare for that moment. Like you can prepare all you want to for this little short period of time, or you can spend this short period of time preparing for everything that's coming in the future. And here's what James says. He, he says, coming for us, he defines these treasures. He defines it as the crown, one of the treasures as the crown of life. Now, what the crown of life is, I don't know. I picture like a crown of royalty you set on somebody's head. All we really know about this, if you look at the Greek word, is that God, to those of us that are faithful to him, has these different rewards that will be a badge of honor in heaven. Can you, can you imagine walking around heaven like the Boy Scout that has all the patches? Like, yep, crown of life. Here's this one. Here's that one. And we're going, to want to, we're going to want to look back on this life and say, I used my earthly life to honor God in every way. We had a pastor here when I was growing up, and he said, here's the best things about these crowns that God is going to give us. He says, we get to take them off and throw them at his feet and say, no, 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 I didn't do anything. God, you did it all. But here's what the Bible unequivocally says and what Jesus tells us to prepare for is that there is coming a time more important than the one that we live in now. You need to be using now to prepare for that moment. Now, this says here that this crown of life is, is given to those that love him. The book of John tells us that those who love him keep his commandments. Here's the meaning of this. You have two choices with your life. 
to prepare for the afterlife. You can, you can do what you want now, or you can do what he wants now. And if we're being honest, what God wants me to do and what Brian wants to do are very rarely ever the same thing. Am I the only one? No. Most of the time, they're complete opposites. Like, like God says, hey, pray for that person. And I'm thinking, I don't want to pray for him. I want to scream at him. God's like, hey, you, you need to seek to give me glory. And, and my heart is like, but God, I want the glory. I don't want to give you the glory because then I can't have it. And what the book of James is saying is you can prepare through temptations. You can, you can choose to give it to God or to give to yourself. And he's going to define this temptation as a desire to do it our way. Uh, the things that we want to do. And he makes it very clear. God does not send you temptations. God does not ever tempt you to sin. But here's what it says. Here's, here's the process of sin. And he uses the example of a human growing. It says there's a moment of conception which is desire to do something that God doesn't want you to do. Something that is sinful. Something that will break you. And if you keep playing with that little sin, if you keep toying that around in your mind, and we've all done this, kind of leave the door just cracked. I'm not going to do that, but I'm also not going to lock the door on it. What will happen is eventually that temptation will give birth to sin. And sin, when it starts out, is kind of cute and cuddly and kind of, let's be honest, it's kind of fun, feels good. But, but that sin will grow over time until it becomes an immovable force. And when it is full grown, it brings death. Some of us have lived that. We start off with a little bit of anger and bitterness, just a little bit of frustration. We kind of nurse that. How dare they? I can't believe they'd do that to me. That turns into rage. And before you know it, this little small, this little small grudge that we hold has turned into something that takes over our life. And we don't even know how to be happy anymore because we're mad all the time. I've seen this happen with people who gamble. Like, hey, hey, just, uh, you know, it's just kind of fun, something we do on the weekends. We go and, and we, we, you know, we'll spend a few hundred dollars. And we just know, we know we're going to lose a couple hundred dollars. It's not a big deal. But if you watch some of those people, before you know it, all they really know to do is try to find joy in giving their money away as their money is stolen from them. You can see this in substance abuse. It starts out as something we do on the weekends when we're teenagers and then in college it becomes something that goes on like three nights a week. And before you know it, substance abuse has just kind of taken over our life. I no longer am having fun. It owns me. See, all of our sins start small and then they will take over. Here's what James is saying is, don't play with sin. Sin is out to kill you. And it may look small and cuddly right now, but it is after you. See, we don't avoid sin because there's some rule that says that's bad. The Bible tells you very clearly, avoid sin because sin is out to get you. It will steal from you, though it promises something to you. There's an old preacher story I'm going I'm to steal as a, of a man was walking through the woods and, and he come upon, it was this time of year, it was cold outside, and he come upon a snake laying on the leaves. And he did what everybody does when you walk upon a snake, you know, walk away from it. And, and he looked down at the snake and snakes are cold-blooded. They have to have some other form of heat for their body to work. And, and he starts to walk around and the snake says, wait, 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 wait. And the guy's like, what? He, he, the snake's like, dude, I'm, I'm cold. I can't go anywhere. I'm going to die here. Can you, can you pick me up and warm me up? And uh, the man says, I'm not picking you up. You're a snake. And the snake says, I, please, I prom I'm not going to hurt you. I just want you to put me in your jacket. You can warm me up, get my body warm where I can slither back to my hole so I won't die. The man, Denise is back there going, uh-uh. <laughs> the man eventually says, okay. And he picks up the snake and he puts it in his jacket. And as he's walking, his body heat begins to warm the body of the snake. And he feels it start to move 
starts to slither, Denise. And all of a sudden, he feels a sharp pain in his side. And he throws his jacket open and throws the snake down. And he looks, and he's got two puncture marks in his side where the snake has bit him. And he yells at the snake, why did you do that? And the snake looks back at him and laughs and says, you knew what I was, and you picked me up anyway. That's what sin does to us. That's what sin does in us. We don't play with it because it's out to kill us. Your fourth take-home truth is this. His desire leads to sin. Sin leads to death. Here's the kicker. But Jesus defeated sin. See, the good news is this sin that grows, the sin that can own you. The Bible says we are slaves to sin before we belong to him. This sin has already been defeated by our Savior. That's why we're here to worship. Because the bondage of sin has been released of us because of what Jesus did on the cross. That he came here and he pursued us. And so because of Jesus and what he did, you and I have a choice. We can follow our desires that lead to death. Or... We can endure temptation and choose the good gifts of God. What does James say? Hey, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked by sin. If it looks good, you better make sure it comes from God because God gives good gifts. And he encourages us to pick the second. Verse 18 says this. It says that Jesus brought us forth by the word of his truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. That is the gospel right here. The gospel is this, is that Jesus came and he pursued you. Let me be clear. You didn't find your way to Jesus by being really good. Jesus came here and he did the work so you could have an opportunity to get a glimpse of him and say, yes, I want him. I want his goodness and I want his glory. I, I, I want what he has to offer. And then because of that, he gives us salvation freely. And we know what he gives us because the word of his truth that he has promised us, the truth of who we are versus who he is. And in that, what he has done for us. And then it ends with this. It says that we, he did all of this so that we might be a kind of first fruits. A kind of first fruits. In the Old Testament, the first fruits were the first part of the harvest. So it was a farming society. You went out and you had, let's just say, 20 acres, and you, you harvested the first two acres of it. And so what you would do if you wanted to honor God the way that God decided to be honored is you would give him the first bit of the harvest. You didn't give him what you had left over after you made all of your bills work out and after you paid yourself. You gave him the very, very first thing. And you did that not knowing what would come next. But you did it in faith that, God, I give to you, you will provide back for me. I have faith that I can give this now and that there will be more to come. And here's what the Bible says about you and me as followers of Christ, that we are the first fruits of the kingdom that's coming. We are the first evidence of God's new creation. When Christ will be king and the entire earth will be under his submission, we are the first steps of that. As we come here and we place ourselves under the submission of Christ the king. And so God is doing this, this amazing work in us if we will just trust in him. If we will not focus on our current circumstances or our current desires, but if we'll focus on the, the kingdom of the future, there can be an excitement about God because we know that what is happening in us now will be great in the future. Your fifth take home truth is a believer rejects evil desires and trust in the goodness of God. A believer rejects evil desires and trust in the goodness of God. Now, James is going to go from this point, and he's going to talk about three topics for the rest of the book. And he outlines them all here in verses 19 and 20. So he, this is kind of like the end of his introduction paragraph. Listen to what he says. He says, So then, my beloved brethren, based on everything you've just learned, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Here's what James is saying. If you want to overcome temptation and be mature in your faith, here's the three tools that God has given you. You can choose to do these things. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. If I had to define those three things in one word, I would use the word humility. That what God calls us to do is be swift to hear, which means we prioritize the wisdom of others over my own wisdom. Slow to speak means I prioritize being in the background instead of in the forefront. And slow to wrath, which means I prioritize being calm and peaceful over my anger, resentment, bitterness, and rage. See, all of those things, anger, resentment, bitterness, and rage, are symptoms of pride, the opposite of humility. So instead of focusing on me and what I desire and what I deserve, I focus on God and I focus on others. See, here's what the Bible says, is that when we, when we get too focused on ourselves, when we get prideful, and it becomes all about Brian and what Brian wants and what people are doing to Brian, when it gets to that point, that creates this rage, this anger, and this bitterness within me. And here's what the Bible promises us, is look, that wrath will never bring about the righteousness of God in your life. If we walk through this life with pride, if we walk through this life thinking more about us than we do of God or more about us than we do of others, we are inviting into our life the enemy of his purposes. So here is what I believe James is arguing, is that the key to joy in temptation and trials is humility. To focus not on me and what I think I need or what I think I deserve, but to humbly focus on the glory of God. Your last take-home truth is humility is key to enjoying our walk with God. If our musicians want to start to come up here. See, I think that this is the basis of the gospel. As you came here today, you didn't come here, or I hope you didn't come here, thinking about how good you are. You came here to worship the goodness and the greatness of Christ. And see, there's this thing where, where we all are born self-serving. We're all in our own sin. We're all ready to do what we want to do, and we reject the goodness of God because of that. But here's the gift of Jesus Christ, is that he comes here and he says, I will free you from that desire. I will free you from that temptation. I will free you from that sin so that you can be with me forever. If you're here this morning and you've never heard that or it's hitting you in a new way, today can be the day that you can accept the gift of God. All he says is you accept it with faith. You just trust him. When he says your future is going to work out, if you take what I have to give you, you say, well, then I'll take it and I'll trust you. That can be you today. And for many of us in here, you're already a believer. Life is hard. Life is tough. And here's what the Bible promises you is that if you will look to God, he will walk with you every step of the way. So maybe this morning what you need to do is you need to just look to God. You need to just pray to him. You need to ask him why. You need to walk with humility in him. He will meet you there. Let's stand and worship this morning. Thank you for joining us this week at Ramsey Heights. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, feel free to share it with others. If we can help you begin to follow Jesus or grow in your relationship with Him, join us on Sundays or connect with us on social media or our website, RamseyHeightsFamily.online.